was born in 1962. Uh, my parents were living in Hoboken at the time. I was born in New York Hospital, and shortly after that, my father got a position up in University of Alberta in Edmonton. So actually, the weather that we're having reminds me of my very young years, uh, as a matter of fact. And uh, so we lived up there in the icebox of Edmonton uh, until about kindergarten, and then we began moving around a bit. Moved to New York for a time, moved out to Kansas City, Kansas for a time, moved to St. Louis, where we eventually kind of settled down. My father was a scientist, he was a, a biochemist, and uh, back in 1977, um, he uh, participated in a, an exchange scientist program through NATO, and we went to live for a period of six months in Budapest, Hungary. Um, at the time, I was about 15 years old, and I studied violin and had two lessons a week with a, a member of the Hungarian National Orchestra through the Lise Ferenc Zene Academia, or the France Liszt Academy. And it was a real eye-opener for me. It was the first time I had uh, had two lessons a week uh, and had such attention um, and really learned some technical etudes, and my playing just began to develop at a fantastic rate. From then on, getting back to St. Louis, I studied with uh, the principal second uh, violin of the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, Frederick Sadowski. But, you know, as I became... Uh, Towards graduation of high school, the question came, well, what direction would I take? Now, I had a, a real interest in uh, mathematics and physics, uh, uh, but at the same time, I had this violin thing going. I had uh, actually, I neglected to say, uh, my mother began me on violin when I was two years old. So literally, I don't remember a time when I was not playing violin. So I could literally say, to me, I feel like I was born playing the violin. <laughs> uh, so that was a difficult decision, and I actually began uh, going to Washington University in St. Louis, where my father is a professor, and I studied uh, uh, physics and mathematics, uh, kind of towards engineering. Uh, this is also the time when computers were just coming out. I remember seeing one of the first IBM PCs um, at that time and really was struck by that, and I got into computer programming. So I had all these other interests, but there was music, too, and, and I was beginning to play professionally by that time. I was in the Musicians' Union, and I was getting professional uh, jobs, um, and it all came to a head. Uh, it's really my father's fault, I like to say, because one day, <laughs> it was uh, during finals uh, in, in the spring of 81, and I felt like my brain was jelly. And, uh, and he said, well, how about music? Have you ever considered music? And I thought, well, music just came, felt like it came so naturally to me. Why not? And so um, I wound up uh, going to Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, studied with a teacher there, Yuval Yaron, who now is out at uh, UC Santa Barbara. And after a time, also then studied with Joseph Gingold, who was a world-famous teacher uh, from the 20th century, and also became his teaching assistant for three years. And during that time, I began doing these various professional gigs, and I won a violin competition there at school. And after that, I really was on the map, and I was invited to play as concertmaster um, and lead uh, various of these uh, smaller orchestras. And that's when I found that I, what I really enjoyed doing was sitting on the first stand 
of the orchestra and leading and having a leading position because I really was miserable sitting in the section of the orchestra <laughs> for some reason. Uh, it's just how I am, I suppose. Well, talking about that, the assistant concertmaster or the concertmaster, for those who might not be familiar, what role do they play in the orchestra? That's actually a very difficult position to play. So I, I am in the second chair on the first stand of the first violins. The concertmaster is the first chair. And so really, uh, my title is actually associate concertmaster for New Jersey Symphony. It's a difficult position to play because at once I, it's a leadership position. So a lot of people are following my lead, but yet I also need to follow the lead of the concertmaster and the conductor. The way I see my job is I am implementing the lead of the concertmaster and augmenting it and kind of collaborating also with the other principles of the other sections, so uh, the, the cellos, the violas, the second violins. Also, you know, literally half the people can see the concertmaster and the other half see me. So it's very important that we are unified and that uh, what I do reflects what he is doing as well. It's a little complicated, but basically it's a leadership position in collaboration with the concertmaster and uh, the other part of my job, which uh, can sometimes strike terror in some hearts, is uh, if anything happens to the concertmaster, I need to be ready at a moment's notice to move over to the first chair and to take over and to lead, uh, to perform whatever solos are being performed. It hasn't happened very much. Uh, Eric Weirich is a wonderful concertmaster and violinist, and he's always there. It's been very rare that he's had to miss uh, all of a sudden, and usually I've had some notice in advance if, if he had to. But uh, I've had these opportunities to sit in that first chair and to lead. Before I came to New Jersey Symphony, I actually performed exclusively as a concertmaster for several years. So I had this body of experience to bring to the job, which I think is really been very helpful. You are the, as I understand, the youngest member of the new uh, St. Louis Symphony Youth Orchestra, and you were performing under Leonard Slotkin. What was that like? <laughs> yes, that was. Now, I think my record was broken eventually by David Perry, as I understand. Boy, when was this? 1970, I want to say 1973. Um, Leonard Slotkin then uh, was conducting the St. Louis Symphony Youth Orchestra. It was really my first experience uh, playing in such a, you know, a, a large group at such a high level. I was placed in the fifth stand of the first violins on the outside. So there I was sitting with my legs dangling down <laughs> off the chair uh, at, at the age of 10 years old. We played some fantastic repertoire, Tchaikovsky, Symphony Number no. 4, I remember, uh, a lot of other things. And it was just such an incredible experience. And he, of course, uh, is just one of the world's top conductors. And to have that experience, uh, a conductor, 
you know, not only conducts, but he's also basically teaching the orchestra how to play these works and how to play together. And uh, that was just an incredible experience. You said your mom started you on violin lessons when you were two years old. Had you shown a, a musical propensity already at that point, or was she a musician herself and, and wanted to encourage that in you? Yes, actually, both my parents uh, had some experience in music. Uh, she herself was an amateur violinist. Um, she had learned violin growing up. The occasion was um, that Itzhak Perlman, at the age of then 19 years old, had made his Canadian debut, and my parents went to see him and were inspired, as were many other parents apparently, to enroll their kids into the very first Suzuki program at at the time, as I understand it, in uh, in Canada and in Edmonton under the direction of Tom Ralston, uh, who later became the director of the Banff um, Music Festival. I think he was expecting maybe you know ten or twenty people to show up, but he was overwhelmed apparently with something like forty or fifty people after the Itzhak Perlman debut. Of course, I don't remember the first time really. It's a little before my memory really comes in. Uh, I have a picture uh, of me, a very little guy holding the violin. I can see right away what my mother said was true. I just kind of took to it. I just had a very natural bow grip and a very natural position uh, with the violin. According to my mother, it's almost as if I just picked up the violin and started playing it. Almost. <laughs> of course, I had her example, and I probably had seen her play. And one of the uh, cornerstones of the uh, Suzuki method is that the parents are also involved, and they also play, and they help the kids practice and everything at home. So that was uh, very helpful. I didn't read music for quite a few years, and I learned everything by ear. So... I think that was a very formative time in, in the early years of the Suzuki method, which I still think is a fantastic way for, for kids to learn. And speaking of that, for parents who may have a young child that is either showing an interest or the parents have an interest in introducing that child to the world of music, any suggestions that you might offer? Is the violin a good first instrument to, to start with, or does it make a difference what instrument they uh, begin with. I assume a tuba is probably not a good one for a two-year-old, but outside of uh, something like that. Well, I suppose first and foremost, size is a consideration. And, uh, you know, obviously viol uh, the violin that I started on was a 16th size violin, which is really tiny. So you have these, so compared to a cello or something else like that, another instrument, you know, you do have these very small violins, so naturally it's easier. However, I think you know, sound is very important, and I think um, that people, you know, kids are drawn to a certain sound that just resonates with them. <laughs> I suppose that's a pun. <laughs> you know, if their ear is attuned to kind of higher sounds, and they like those higher sounds, I, I find uh, that, that kids are kind of drawn to uh, just the register that the instrument is in. I, I think it's important for kids to hear uh, a wide range of instruments, and actually it would be great if they could bring the kids to uh, something like the family concerts at New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, which is a wonderful opportunity for kids to get up up close and personal uh, with various instruments. They uh, Before the concert, they in the lobby, they have uh, these sessions where kids can come and actually handle and try out uh, different instruments and see how it is up close. I think that uh, that's a very important aspect. And then to see the orchestra and to see all the instruments playing and how uh, I think is also an, an, an important aspect. 
there are many ways of starting. Uh, Suzuki method is very well established. Um, I am, of course, a product of Suzuki method. Um, I think they have a lot of very good points, and it's very easy, especially for younger kids, uh, to get into it. But it does require a lot of participation uh, from the parents uh, you know, to be involved, which is ultimately a good thing. I think uh, uh, as the student progresses, then it's important for them to be exposed to etudes and technical studies, um, and then to maybe tailor a program uh, you know, that, that best meets their needs. But I find I still I use Suzuki books in my instruction uh, when I'm teaching. I find that their materials are very well thought out. Each of the, it's nice that you can work on various technical things while still playing a little piece that is fun to play, and it's musical, so you can uh, express music. And now they've incorporated more and more exercises to address some of these things in their book. So it's really developed a lot, the Suzuki Method. Some of the names that uh, we've mentioned during this interview, Franz Liszt, Leonard Slatkin, Itzhak Perlman, they all bring to mind classical music. Playing in a symphony orchestra, obviously you're performing primarily classical music. But what about your listening habits? What's on your iPod that you're listening to? I love that. Well, I listen to a wide range of things, uh, of genres, you could say. I remember one of the first albums I ever had was a Van Halen, the first Van Halen album, and Rush 2112. So those were my first actual rock albums, and I was just electrified by this type of music. And so ever since then, I've, uh, I've followed... Uh, a wide range of of, uh, of rock, classic rock, also some country uh, music, folk music. Jeez, uh, I really, I, I suppose I went through different phases. I was really into Jim, Jimi Hendrix, and then I was really into Led Zeppelin, and then I was really into these various things. Of course, there's the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles have always been there. My My parents had Beatles albums from a very young age I was listening to. It really just comes down to quality, like anything else. In, in every era, even through the classical period, the famous pieces that we're listening to were really the standouts, but there were just hundreds and hundreds of pieces of symphonies. They're just never heard because they've never they haven't quite stood the test of time. But again, in those days, if you look at it from a historical perspective, they also didn't have the technology to capture all these performances. So we have a, a, a real, um, uh, this phenomenon, uh, especially in, in recent years, where the recording quality has gotten to a point where you can listen to things that were recorded back in the 70s, and they sound almost like they were recorded today, uh, just as fresh, um, and they've been remastered and everything. But we don't have anything like that from you know, the mid-1700s. <laughs> so uh, all we can do, but yet there have been some wonderful recreations uh, with period instruments to try and see how things were uh, sounded in those days. I love listening to a good performance of anything. <laughs> uh, I have Dixie, Chick, uh, Dixie Chicks. I have uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. I have Boston. <laughs> uh, just a wide variety. <laughs> 